Good morning. All right, y'all. It is a joy to be with you on this Lord's Day. It's a joy to be here on the third time. They say it's always good if you get invited somewhere. It's extra good if you get invited back. Thrice times I have been invited back, and it is a joy to be with you all and to even have the privilege of teaching God's word to you. Um, so we greet you, uh, me and my family. We have a few guests in the back over there. Um, yeah, so it's been sweet to see you guys grow and continue forward and to get to check in every now and then. Um, if you have a Bible, please do open to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 13. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at one verse, and just in case you're thinking, oh, that means this is going to be a shorter message. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Praise God. Just so you guys know, um, I am from a tradition to where if you speak back to me during a sermon, that will only be encouraging. I just want to encourage you to feel all the freedom that you have in Christ to, as our brother said, loudly shout uh, if anything resonates with your soul from God's word. Uh, I think it would only, not only encourage me, but the saints who are around you. Uh, let me pray. Oh, dear Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus. <clears throat> Oh, we thank you for him. That Christ, the mighty maker, died for his own creature's sin. Lord, we pray that you would humble us all as we consider Jesus. We pray that you would help us all as we consider Jesus. We pray that you would grow us all as we consider Jesus. We ask that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. I pray that you would encourage this congregation this day during this time. Do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we even know to ask or think. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. That's hearty amen. <clears throat> Faithfulness to God is a lot. It's very hard. If you've been walking with the Lord any length of time, you appreciate that it's hard. We sing about some of the reasons that it's hard, that we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. That in us is a force pulling us away from Jesus. We're in a world that despises the God who made them. We're surrounded by those who are children of disobedience, who are being led by the devil in a united assault against the church in the name of the Lord. There is advertisement after advertisement, billboard after billboard of appeals for us to leave Jesus. 
There's just the weariness of our flesh. Even when we have the right mind to do something, we don't have the strength to carry it about. So even when the spirit's willing, the flesh is still weak. And we're just tired. And we get tired. And then there's the threat and the danger of what you might become. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or if you've ever seen what happens even to some saints, how sometimes their mind goes places they'd rather it not, apart from their control. Billy Graham, who once was a great herald later in life, ended up saying things that we know on his good day would regret, and I trust on the last day the Lord will preserve him through, but we all are nervous about what we might become. I mean, even if you think about the past week, what you're capable of, the kind of small changes that on a trajectory just land you somewhere scary. Faithfulness to God is hard. And the question is, how do we do it? Should the Lord tarry and give life? Most of us will have many days to serve the Lord. Not all of us. We're not entitled to it. We all hope that all of us have short days and that Jesus would come back. But should we hold the name of God up in our generation? Should we have a long trek of faithfulness to walk out with all the trials without, with all the trials within? How is it that we are going to be faithful? How is it that one day we could have the audacity to anticipate hearing from the only mouth that matters, well done, my good and faithful servant. It can be hard to anticipate an unchanging focus on being faithful to Christ despite all the unknowns of the future and the changing circumstances we will encounter how are we to be predictably faithful when we can't predict a single thing about the future? Well, we do have help. Praise God, Brother Cam. I want us all to leave here utterly optimistic about the future, not just of this church gathering, but of every church, not just of every church, but of every saint. And the reasons we have ground for optimism, despite all of the opposition, the reason we have grounds for such optimism is because we have quite the shepherd who is a loving savior who rules the universe as a mighty king and the fact that he never changes. The only path of joyful stability in very changing circumstances with very changing bodies and often changing minds, the only path of joyful stability, the only hope of true faithfulness from very changing saints is to keep our eyes fixed on our unchanging God. And the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 13 is doing that for the saints. He's been appealing for the saints to do that throughout the whole book, but he's, he's landing the plane of his sermon. 
In this wonderful letter, the writer has been seeking to persuade his readers from walking away from Jesus. He's seeking to persuade them away from walking away from Jesus. He's seeking to persuade them to stay the course of being a Christian, to keep going, being faithful to Christ. Being a Christian was hard for them. Living by faith was hard for them. And often it felt less glorious than they thought it would feel. I wonder if that even resonates with any of you. I don't know if sometimes when you think about what the Christian life is gonna be like, you're thinking Mount of Transfiguration as your norm. And you forget that actually only three of the disciples even got to see that. And that was not their perpetual view. Often it feels less glorious. And for them, it felt less glorious than even the Judaism that they could feel and they could touch and they could smell, that they could experience with all of their senses in an immediate way. One thing the writer of Hebrews was trying to let them know is that their feelings to give up on Jesus, their feelings to get bored with Jesus were leading them to ruin because what they had was actually only supposed to point them to Christ. And so in this letter, the writer is calling on his readers. He's calling on all of us to see that Jesus is worthy of lives of faithfulness because of who he is, because of who he is. Uh, For them, he wants them to know that he's worthy of lives of faithfulness because he was far better than what they previously had. He is far better than the old covenant they knew. He's far better than the old arrangement as it was. He's far better than any being. He's far better than any sacrifice. He's far better than any possession you can ever have despite how you feel. For what he offers is better, right? Christ offers forgiveness of sin, and he's the only one who offers forgiveness of sin. Christ offers a right standing with God with no fear of judgment, and he's the only one who can offer a right standing with God and no fear of judgment. Christ offers access to the throne of grace, and there is no other way to access that throne. There is no other way to the Father except through him. Christ offers us help in all our needs, actual, real help in all our needs. Christ offers eternal life and an abiding place in Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and he's the only one who can offer that arrangement. Oh, Christ and Christ alone can offer and provide an actual, real relationship with God that is unhindered by sin and that is unended by death. And the writer of Hebrews is calling them to remember what they have in Jesus. And it's a, a reminder that we all regular need, regularly need is to remember what it is we have in Jesus. Perhaps you came in and your cup of what you have in Jesus is actually quite full. Well, be encouraged because it can get even fuller. If you came in and you're looking at your cup of, and it's got a couple drops in there, put it under the fountain of Christ and let it fill and you'll find it's overflowing. There is nothing in all of life that's ever worth giving up any of those things that Jesus offers. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that everything else in comparison to those things is is rubbish, It's, it's trash. Everything compared to the surpassing worthiness of knowing Christ as our Lord and being found in him. 
And in this letter of Hebrews, because we're jumping at the end, it's just important to remember, he's given them example after example. Where the former regulations of the law were proven weak and useless, Christ's blood has been shown mighty and effective. Where the law could not deliver from sin, the Lord Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Right, so for everything that they had in Judaism, the writer is saying it was at best a shadow, but Christ is the actual substance, and you don't want to leave the substance for the shadow. He tells them he is a greater and better person. He's a greater and better priest. He's a greater and better possession with greater and better promises, offers a greater and better covenant established by the greatest and best sacrifice, namely the sacrificing of his perfect life in our sinful place on the cross. His sacrifice was not that of a blood of an animal, but rather the blood of the Son of God. And by the shedding of Jesus' own blood, by him bearing the sins of many, he secured an eternal redemption for everyone who looks to him by faith, who believes in his death as a substitute in their place, who believes in his conquering of death by his resurrection from the dead for their freedom. Everyone who believes in the gospel of Christ gets all the benefits of Christ, gets all the promises of Christ, and gets Christ himself, right? Jesus comes and actually brings us God and all the benefits that come along with God, and he's the only one who does. The writer of Hebrews is like, if you got to set your mind on something, and you do have to set your mind on something, set your mind on that. So all through this letter, it's consider Jesus, look to Jesus, remember Jesus. And that's what we need to do if we are to stay faithful to Christ. It will be in measure to our ability to remember Jesus, to consider Jesus, to see Jesus. Again, this was the burden of the writer of Hebrews. This is what he wanted the saints to know and grasp and hope. And this is what they were to be living for. This is the truth they were to be adorning with their lifestyles. This is the truth that was worthy of their fear and trembling. This is the truth worthy of suffering for. This is the truth they needed to endure. And it is the only ground for lasting faithfulness. What they needed most, what we need most, is always a clear view of a very exalted Jesus. We need to comprehend what he accomplished for us in the gospel and to keep our eyes fixed on him and live lives for him. And we can only do this if Jesus is right before us always. And that's the, that's the task of the believer is to tether ourselves and tether our attention to Christ. Because though our times change and our bodies change and our friends change and our finances change and our societies change and our churches change, indeed we all change, but as the great hymn has it, he changes not. This brings us to our text for this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, which reads, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Saints, this is God's word. Thanks be to God indeed. The, the foundational truth of our faith, the bedrock of all our faithfulness is the fact that he is faithful. His place of supreme priority and worth is fixed and unchanging because he himself is unchanging. 
I'd like to encourage you this morning from this text, congregation, with the sufficiency and immutability of Christ, or in other words, the unalterable enoughness of Jesus. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if you're a point person, just write the whole verse. Now, the immediate context of our passage in chapter 13 is the writer calling the saints to different things corresponding to the truth just expounded. It's kind of like a theological junk drawer. Now, the stuff in it is junk, but you know, in your kitchen, almost everybody has that one drawer where you just put the stuff. You need the stuff, but it doesn't have a different place. It just goes in that drawer. So, you know, there might be scissors. There might be Twizzlers, there could be all kinds of things in that drawer, but you know what's in there, <laughs> and it is important that it's in there, um, right? There's just all these random exhortations that aren't actually random. They just seem like, where is he going and why is he saying this? He just starts kind of spraying them down with exhortation after exhortation, application after application. Doesn't always seem clear what the connection is, but we know they're all clearly connected to Christ, but they're just... They're just a series of exhortation after exhortation that you really could do a sermon per verse on each verse in chapter 13. Our verse, chapter 8, is sandwiched between two calls to Christian carefulness. First, you have the call to remember their leaders and their devotion to Christ in verse 7. And then following verse 8, you have the call to beware of falling into diverse and strange teaching in verse 9. So our, our passage is actually located between the call to imitate their leaders who led them to the word and to make sure they are not led astray from the way that is made clear in the word. And as we consider it, right, the connection between those two texts even might become a little more obvious to us as we consider it further. Leaders play a crucial role in us following Jesus, a very crucial role in us following Jesus. Here in this chapter, leaders is referenced three different times. So if you look down at verse 24, we see that leaders are greeted by the writer of Hebrews. In verse 17, the church is called to obey their leaders and submit to them because of their labor and care for the souls of the saints. And then right before verse 8 and verse 7, the saints are called to remember their leaders, to regard their labor and their life, to imitate their faith. So part of God's plan for our growth in godliness, part of God's plan for your growth in godliness is through appointing leaders to watch over your soul, lead you in the word and the way of Christ. That's part of how God establishes our rootedness in Jesus is us having an appropriate affection and submission to the leaders he provides us with in the church. And since I'm not an elder here, I feel complete freedom to say this. Hebrews 13, 17 is one of the most disregarded passages in the Bible in our day. There's so much in there that just feels icky to people. Obey your leaders and submit to them. But it's a charge with a lot of care in it. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Right, they watch over our souls. They labor for our joy in Jesus. And as we thought about earlier, nothing's more important than that. They pour themselves out that we might be built up. And the Bible calls the church to have a very high esteem for them. 
a very high esteem for them, to obey them, to submit to them, to honor them, to imitate them as they imitate Christ. So dear church, you should be thankful in Christ for the leaders he has provided you with. Please do not take for granted that you have men who devote large portions of their time, of their energy, of their mind, sacrificing time with their families to labor just so that you could better consider Jesus and better see Jesus and better love Jesus and better follow Jesus. Your pastors love you and they labor to see Christ formed in you. There are so many throughout the world who in the disguise of shepherding fleece the flock. And it is important that you are thankful that you have shepherds who labor and at their own expense labor to feed the flock. Oh, continue to honor them and love them and submit to them. It will only be to your own disadvantage not to and to your very benefit and advantage to honor them as Christ has called you to. The saints are called to faithfully regard your leaders. Pastor John did not ask me to say any of that, but I do think it was in the text. It is the context immediately, at least of the verse we're going to get to, right? This regard is clearly evident, right, in what Hebrews says in 13.7. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith, right? So part of how we grow by following the faithful pattern of faith-filled leaders. It's clear in the text, and it's God's design. But there's something very significant about verse 7 that paves the way for verse 8. And that is the significant limitation of even faithful leaders. Verse 7 begins with the word remember, which seems to suggest it's leaders who are no longer there. When verse 7 says, consider the outcome of their way of life, it is probable that it's referencing leaders who have died already, who aren't there anymore. So there's a spectrum of leadership in chapter 13, right? Verse 24, verse 17, their text connected to the leaders they currently have. And then verse 7 seems to be referring to the leaders that they had at one point, but no longer do. And whether that's just because the temporary shifting of people when God might have moved their ministers, or maybe it's from the more final departure of death, as good and faithful as their leaders are, Though they are worthy of imitation and deserving of their honor and their submission, they cannot be the place of anyone's stability in the Lord. They cannot be the ground of anyone's hope in God. They are unworthy of uninterrupted attention, focus, and faith. That is not why we have leaders, to give them uninterrupted attention and focus and faith. No, no, they help us and we ought to honor them. They call us and they charge us and they appeal to us to go in the way of Christ and we ought to submit to them and obey them, but they are not worthy of that uninterrupted attention, focus, and faith. But there is someone who always is, who's worthy of all of that. There's someone who never errs in what he speaks. There's someone who never grows tired or in need of a sabbatical. There is someone who is always available, always powerful, always attentive, 
always present, someone who never dies, but yet always and ever lives, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd of the church. The best leaders point us to the best leader. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember your leaders, but worship your Jesus. Kids, kids, you are in a church service, as you know, and so your parents have actually loved you very well by bringing you to a church where you can hear about Jesus. Jesus is the bestest ever, period. Your mom and dad are probably pretty amazing too. But as good as your parents are, they are not close to being as good a leader as God is. And perhaps you're less than encouraged by your parents in this season because they are imperfect and they do fail. Well, one thing you need to know is though they might fail you, God never will. This is why God calls everyone, whether they're young people or whether they're older people, he calls everyone to fix their attention on Jesus, to follow him all the days of their life. It is the only sure way to live your life in a good way. This is what the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying here. Now, listen, you had good leaders for a moment. You have their example in your memories, but you have your Jesus forever. Look, their examples get cut short by death. They're here one day and they're gone the next, but not so with your Jesus. He is always all that he is, and he is exactly the same day to day, fully glorious, fully sufficient, fully present, fully God, now and forevermore. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I was pastoring at a church in Philadelphia. I'm no longer pastoring there. I was then pastoring in Virginia. I'm no longer pastoring there. We're actually going to plant another church, Lord willing, in Minnesota. And one thing that kind of hit me as I was leaving Philly was like, man, I don't know how well I prepared the church to know, do not put your faith in me. Do not base the success of any congregation on any particular minister. There's a sure way to build the church wrong. And I just want to encourage you as a congregation, again, John did not have me say this. Don't send him text. Are you leaving, man? No, no, no. You will hold him best when you hold him with loose hands, as you will with all of your leaders. They belong to God just like you do. Remember him. Remember them. Obey them. Submit to them. But hold fast to Jesus. Everyone in here can go somewhere else and the church be just fine. The one we need to stick around for this to work is Jesus. And what's wonderful is he says, I'm with you, and I will be with you, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't need any seminary classes to grow in his understanding of God's word. He doesn't need any more pastoral experience to be able to help you where you are. He is fully God, has always been, and he is now and always will be. Oh, do you remember who the Lord Jesus Christ is? Uh, This letter begins with one of the most exalted introductions to Jesus. Uh, The first chapter in Hebrews is a place I frequent in Scripture if I find myself struggling with low thoughts of Christ. 
Few places give a more short and potent description of the glory and majesty of Jesus like Hebrews 1. It's the booster shot to get your body and system more elevated in awareness to who Jesus is. And if you were to flip to the beginning of the book of Hebrews, you would find Christ being heralded as the following. He says, Jesus is the Son of God through whom God has finally spoken all there is to speak. All that is needed for saving faith and sanctification has been fittingly and sufficiently spoken through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the appointed heir of all things. All things were created through him and by him and for him, and their end is to bring him glory. He is not simply sovereign over the saints, but over everything in creation. For he did not only make the church, but he created the whole world. He says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the one in whom the fullness of deity is pleased to dwell He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father, and he's the one mediator between God and man. To see Christ is to see God. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We find that Jesus is the upholder of the universe by the words of his power. Oh, saints, his word is powerful, which is why we wrap our services around it. He has created the world by his own speaking, He has created every saint by his own speaking. He provides for his will by his own words, and he will slay all his enemies by the sword of his own mouth. We're told that Jesus is the one who made a purification for sins in Hebrews chapter 1. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who by a single offering has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified by faith in him. Uh, This is why there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Hebrews writer continues, Jesus is seated in majesty, and he's at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the exalted Messiah with unlimited power, eternally honored by his Father, with all authority in heaven and on earth and forever, exalted with the name more glorious than all the angelic hosts. Right? This is the glory of the Son of God. This is his abiding in his unchanging glory. You will not find him next Tuesday any diminished in any of these qualities. You will also not find him next Friday to have increased in any degree in any of these characteristics. He is fully who he is. It is radiant and brilliant and completely praiseworthy. And it's the way he always is. Which is why the writer is like, listen to who you got. You got the, 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 the one who is God in himself. You have the one who is owner of all things, the one who made all things, the one through whom all things hold together. You, you have the, the, the image of the invisible God. People don't know who God is. They want to know who God is. And we can say, no, no, we know him. In fact, that's what eternal life is, right? That we know him, the true God and the son that he has sent. The reason the world will not end before God says is because it is being held together. Not because the gravitational pull of planets is keeping everything. No, no, no. Those are there because his word is there. Gravity exists because God said so. 
the purifier of sins. You sin this week, you're going to sin next week. But you have a standing with God that is stable, and it will be stable forever. Not because you will sin less, but because he's a purifier. He's made purification for sins. He's paid for sins. He washes unrighteousness away. You go to whatever grocery store you go to. You ain't got a spot remover for that. He's worthy of every sacrifice, every obedience, every affection, every devotion, and he always will be. Uh, this, is, this is how the scriptures speak about the Son of God. This is how Hebrews open this up when quoting Psalm 102. It says, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will all perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. I mean, this is the bad news for anyone here who's not a Christian. The good news for us is that he's a purifier for, he makes purification for sins and he doesn't change, which is how we know tomorrow he won't wake up and decide we're unforgiven. No, no, we've been purified once for all in his offering, once for all time. But if someone's here and they're not a believer, the, the big problem for you is that God does not change. People have tried to change what sin is, but God hasn't. People have tried to change their mind about what sin deserves, but God hasn't. The wages of sin was death in the beginning. The wages of sin is death right now. The wages of sin will be death in the future. None of that will change. And Christ is the one who will bring judgment on everyone in their sin. He is the appointed judge. He has sent us ahead of time to warn people in their sins about the certainty of God's wrath. And the way we can know for certain that it's going to happen in the future is because he's promised it and he will not change his mind. Something he has sworn in his wrath. There is an appointed day in which everyone will be judged. And those who have not come to Christ will be judged by him. He will not change his mind. The same wrath God has always had against sin, he still has against sin, he will have against sin. And Jesus is the one who will judge in his holy faithfulness. In Revelation, when King Jesus returns, listen to how the Bible describes him. It says, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. The one who's going to be coming to make war on God's enemies is Jesus, faithful and true. Right, because he's faithful and true, everyone will be punished in their sin. But the truth about him is only a terror to people in their pride. Because for anyone who humbles himself and seeks forgiveness from the Lord, well, then his faithfulness becomes your friend, your biggest friend. 
The Bible says if anyone repents of their sin, turns from their sin, confesses in agreement with God about what sin is and about what sin deserves and about the fact that Jesus came to pay for that sin, to completely pay for that sin, and we know it's completely paid for by him rising from the dead. The Bible says if anybody turns from their sin and trusts in the death of Christ in their place, his resurrection from the dead for their new life, then for those who believe, the Bible tells us God is actually faithful and just to forgive us. The faithfulness that is a terror to an unbeliever is a friend to a humble believer because he is faithful to judge for sin. But if we understand our sins to be paid for in Christ, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And then it cleanses from everything unrighteous. He's made a promise. He will never change his mind. All who call on him will be saved. And that is the, the great clarion call of the church. This is why saints have historically went out risking death to tell people about Jesus because the news is that good and Jesus is that glorious. And that's why they still do. Because the gospel is that good and his name is still that glorious. Nothing's changed. This is why the centerpiece for every church must always be the gospel. We never change from that. And the reason we never change from that is not because our desires for that never change. No, no, no. But because that's based on his unchangingness. We delivered what we also received, what is of first importance in the churches, and that is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day he rose in accordance with the scriptures. That will always be the matter of first importance because it is based on Jesus who doesn't change. And his churches who are composed by his people, who are bearing up his name, go about it the way he said because he doesn't change. It's very freeing. You want to know, oh, we're going to go plant church in the hood. What do we need? You need the same thing that everywhere else needs. Oh, we're going to go plant church in the village. What do they need? They need the same thing everyone else needs. They need Jesus. He is the great solution to every soul over all time. And not only is he available, but all he is is always available because he doesn't change. The death and burial and resurrection of Christ has been sufficient to save all who believe in times past. It is sufficient to save all who believe now today. It will be enough to secure their salvation for all of eternity forever because he's an unchanging savior. And you could just apply that to any sphere of your life. I'm lonely. Feel like nobody loves me, nobody's with me. And then what you might do is you might then say, oh, you need another person. Oh, if I had another person, then I wouldn't feel this way. Like, your friend, that is not the solution. You could pick a person, and they might scratch that itch a little, but they cannot scratch it deep, and they cannot scratch it all way. But Jesus can. Struggle with your assurance. And I had a really bad week last week. First of all, your good week wasn't as good as you thought it was. Enough for you to feel better about your salvation. You ain't never had that good a week. Oh, well, I just feel like, I don't know. No, no, no. What did he say? What did he say? Because his word hasn't changed. 
That's what Romans 5 we just read. Right after that passage, it goes on to say how God has loved us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is how we are justified. That's how we're saved from the wrath to come. And this Bible has not changed. So you can wake up, even if you feel sloppy, and know for sure that you have a relationship with God that is stable, just as stable it was last week, just as stable as it will be next week, not because you're feeling it this week, but because Christ made a purification for your sins. Isn't that what Paul says? I know in whom I have believed. Right? His unchangeability is good news for the church. All of him is who he always is. It's who he's been. It's who he is and will be. This is the stuff that gets congregations through changes. Because changes will happen. They must happen. It's part of our creatureliness. I've been here over the span of five to six years, I think. And y'all changed. It's not a bad thing. It's a creature thing. Your leadership's changed. Congregants have changed. Sometimes your music's a little different. Sister's always killing it, though. You always kill it. And that's totally fine because what's most important about this church has not changed. Yeah, that this church is built on a solid rock. The person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that never settles, never gets foundation cracks. Never shifts ever, but it is fixed, it is stable, it is just as strong. And in that sense, this church has not changed at all since the first day it started. And I think this is just one thing, and I think it's in the text, just to process when leaders change. It's, it's sad to lose leaders, at least it should be. Um, I know even when we left, we cry a lot. They weren't bad tears, they're just sad tears. It's okay to shed tears about sad stuff. Departures are sad, and we all long for the day when God gathers up his family and we're in a place that we'll never have to leave again. Departures are sad when members come, and this is a transient area, and members will be coming and going like crazy. It's right to cry, but I just want to encourage you, don't cry too much. Don't cry like me. If so-and-so leaves what are we going to do? It's like, what you mean? Because if that's in your mind, they probably need to leave. Let not one brick of this house be built on any man. Let all bricks be on the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things, not only have we not lost him yet, we can't lose him ever. I mean, it's one thing to know that he's wonderful now, but what if we lose him later? But the wonderful thing is we did not get him at our own strength. We do not keep him now in our own strength, and we will not tether ourselves to him in our own strength either. He's always with us, and the arrangement through which we have him is always with us. And he says even to the end of the age, he's always been for you. 
He's been for you then, he's for you now, and he'll always be for his people in the future. One of the the things that's harder for us to understand is just the fact that there is not a possibility in which God could ever increase in his affection for his people. There is no way for God to ever love you more. It's not a possibility. There's no way for God to increase in his goodness to you. We, We say silly things as saints sometimes, and we, use, we usually restrict his kindness and his goodness and his mercy to when sweet things happen to us, right? Oh, the Lord was kind to me this week. You say something he did well. It's like, well, what was he last week? And I know what you're trying, like what we're trying to do is highlight a particular goodness of God, but we even coach ourselves to dismiss aspects of his goodness. It does not fluctuate. Like when stuff went well for you, he did not like, let me be really good to them. And that's wonderful news. What's wonderful is in the hard stuff, in the trial, in the suffering, he's being just as good, just as near, just as loving, just as faithful, just as full of mercy, just as attentive, just as sustaining as he was when you was in the plushest seasons of your life. And you know that for certainty. You can coach your soul in that for certainty. You can stake your soul in that for certainty because he cannot change. Have you ever, obviously, some of you mouthed the words to it, but it's one of my favorites, right? My love is oft times low. My joy still ebbs and flows. But peace with him remains the same. No change Jehovah knows. I change, he changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. I mean, if our relationship with the Lord was based on us, we would be all incredibly doomed. Our faithfulness would be fickle at best. And if you process your your faithfulness to God based on your feeling of God's faithfulness to you, you are setting yourself up for a train wreck. The reasons we have believed in the Lord, the reason why we gather as a church believing the Lord, the reason why next week should the Lord tarry and grant us opportunity, we are confident we will still gather as those believing in the Lord. It's not because we don't plan on changing. No one ever does. It's it's, it's not because our feelings will remain steady. No one ever does. It's not because we don't have straying hearts that lead us away from the Lord. We sang about that earlier. The reason we know we will keep enduring, the reason we know we will keep believing, the reason we know that we will continue steadfast in the hope of the gospel is because Christ, who is our shepherd, doesn't change. He who predestined us and called us and justified us has glorified us. It's because he is carrying us in his hand and his hands never grow weary. His grip never loosens or weakens. It's because his love, his perfect and great and saving love, remains as steadfast as he is. I mean, it's encouraging just to consider how the same power that created the world and that is upholding the universe is upholding your faith. There's a bigger chance of gravity stopping than for God's saints abandoning him. The same single offering that made once for all purification for sins is still sufficient to cover your stumbles today and tomorrow. On the same throne is seated the same king, the same glorious head still wears that same radiant crown, and we will all arrive to the same destination, our Father's house, because Christ keeps the same promise 
to all of his people. The reason why Dottie's going to end up in glory and why I am going to end up in glory is because Christ, period. It's not because Dottie's more faithful than me, not because Dottie can hold on tighter to Christ than I can, not because Dottie's stronger in her faith than me, although those things might all be true. The only people who know Jesus and get to Jesus and be with Jesus are only there because Jesus carried them. And Jesus exerts the same strength to carry a strong saint and a weak one. This is why the Hebrews text goes from this to a call to not stray after strange teaching, to not stray after things not consistent and according to Christ. Remember, beloved, if it's new, it ain't true. This is how we have confidence in this body of doctrine we have. While so-and-so cannot get on the TV and says, I have a new revelation, it's like, nah, bro, the mic's off. Because the speaker has not changed. And he's finished speaking. His message was declared. There's no other speakers. You know, some churches, like one guy will preach and they get down based on where your tradition was, and then somebody else will get up and preach after that. <laughs> and then sometimes you have a third person get up to preach after that. This is not how God addresses his church with the saving and sanctifying knowledge of God. No, no, there's one speaker. He said he used to speak to our fathers in different ways and at different times, but he has finally spoken through his son, and he's finished speaking, which is encouraging for us to know we have all we need. We don't need the fads of the culture to become the focus of the church. What every Christian and every church needs is unwavering focus on their unchanging Jesus. This is why whether you got lights and you got plush seats, that doesn't help anybody's soul at all. Whether you got a graphic designer doing your bulletin, whether you have screens with the word, that does not help anybody's soul at all. Whether you got the crisply dressed Bishop Joseph preaching to you, or you have a donkey of a man like me addressing. Listen, if Christ is being faithfully held up, and his glory is being faithfully observed with the ear, then the saints are being rooted and established in him because he is the one essential ingredient to the church. What if you had a restaurant that had a dish you loved and then they go and change management? Me and my wife had a butter chicken spot. It was fire. And, um, you know, it was, it was on a pricey end, but, you know, date nights and what have you, we would get it. So we called one time, and we went and picked it up, and we're coming back, and we're excited. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those meals where it's like you prepare to enjoy it because you just know what it's going to be like. And so we get home, and we eat it, and I don't even have a developed palate at all. But we ate it, and it was like, this is not the stuff. This is not the same recipe. This is not what we ordered. So we called the place and said, yo, did y'all change the butter chicken recipe? And they said, yeah. We were like, Why? Why did you do that? <laughs> What's wonderful is God's recipe for a healthy saint does not change. 100% Jesus Christ. No additives, no preservatives. Because he always is, and he always is enough. His intercession game is perfect. 
has been, always will be. His salvation success rate is perfect, has been, always will be. He's never lost one. and You are not about to be the first. His response rate to prayer is perfect, has been, and always will be. You've forgotten to reply to texts. You've forgotten to reply to emails. He's never forgotten to respond to a single prayer from any saint. His character is utterly perfect. He always has been, and he always will be. And one commentator wrote, his help, his grace, his power, his guidance are permanently at his people's disposal. Why then should they lose heart? Others serve their generation by the will of God and pass on, but he, because he abideth forever, has his priesthood unchangeable. He never needs to be replaced and nothing can be added to his perfect work. He always has been, he always will be. You know why Jesus can say that the gates of hell will never prevail and that he will successfully build his church? Because Jesus is stronger than the devil. He always has been and always will be. The devil can't go to a gym and get stronger and then start giving Jesus a run for his money. No, no, he is strong. He is the strong one. He is the strong man, always has been and always will be. I've been a pastor for a few years now and I got to see a lot. I've got to see some people come to know the Lord for the first time. I've got to play a role in some people getting married. I got to watch some saints have kids. I've got to see some walk through raising them. We've, we've seen some endure incredible hardships and suffering. Some experience incredible losses. We've got to see some members go on to be with the Lord. I've got to see many members come into membership. We voted many members out. We've seen people brought up for church discipline that have repented. We've seen people brought up for church discipline that have not. So far, we've seen troubles and trials aplenty, but I'm here to testify to what I have found and what I have discovered, and that is for every situation and for every need and for every trial and for every soul, Jesus Christ has been enough. He always has been, and he always will be. Dear brethren, everything you need is all in your Jesus, and your Jesus never changes. He has been, he is now, he always will be who he is. The root of our faithfulness is not our faithfulness, but his. This is why we sing, great is thy faithfulness, not my faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. You might mess around and accidentally sing my sometimes, accidental heresy in work, right? But we sing, great is thy faithfulness. No one says, great is my faithfulness, because we know we don't have any. We have zero faithfulness to give us any standing with God, any meaningful attentive, grabbing faithfulness from us, not existent. But his, his faithfulness is great. He has and was and is a provider for his people. He was in times past. He fed them with manna from heaven. You know how they were sustained in their thirst? He made water come from a rock. The writer of Corinthians says that that rock was the Lord Christ. All they had need of, his hand has provided, and his hand provides all in Christ. The hand of God that provides all the needs of the saints is Jesus. 
Jude has this as the great benediction for the people of God. Right now, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, to him who's able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen, Jude writes. Oh, we have every reason to be optimistic about your walk with Christ. Perhaps you walk in here feeling rugged, raggedy, and run down. Take eyes off you and fix them on Christ. This church is going to do just fine. The saints in this church are going to do just fine, not because of who's in your membership roles, not because of who you got on staff. The, ever, the, the reason we have to be optimistic and abundantly so is because Jesus is with you. He has been, he is now, and as long as he gives you life, he will be. And that future isn't just limited to this life. Jesus is the sustaining enoughness of the people of God always, even in glory. Uh, the scriptures go through great length to paint this picture for us, that what we experience in part now and as foretaste now, we will get to dive into the fullness of later. Right? Our unchanging God will make a place for us that will be as unchanging as he is. Indeed, his very nature will be what fills all in all. We're told there in that city that the temple won't be there, for the temple will be the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. We're told that the, the city will have no need for a sun or the moon to shine it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The sun will be replaced by the brightness of his glory, and it will be glorious day forevermore, and it will always be day forevermore, for he is unchanging. Loneliness on that day will be replaced by the nearness of God. Every sorrow the seers have known will be eternally replaced by fullness of joy, a joy that will be eternally sustained for it will be eternally derived from the presence of God himself where he will satisfy all his people with pleasures forevermore at his right hand. I love Psalm 16. I love how it has it, right? In your presence, of joy, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore and you know who is at the right hand of God who is the cause for the pleasures forevermore, who is the one who provides the fullness of joy, uh, the one who is the cause of the abiding delight of the people of God is the one who is the cause of our abiding delight right now. And as the great shepherd of the sheep, the enduring high priest of God's people, the king of the ages and the savior of the world, unchanging, ever faithful, the Lord Jesus. So, dear saints, as we conclude our time, I pray that regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you might be prone to be distracted by, that the Lord would give you the sense and provide you with friends who will always appeal to you the way that Paul does in 2 Thessalonians, that they would appeal that the Lord would direct your heart to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And may this church continue keeping its boast reserved in the one who never changes, might your song never get quieter, but only grow louder as you come to experience wave after wave. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness to me. Oh, Lord, I pray for this church. I thank you for them. I thank you that you've kept them. 
Thank you that you've kept them in your love, that you've kept them in your word. I thank you that you've kept them eager to serve Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would give them minds set on him, you give them hearts fixed on his steadfastness, and that the song would be increasingly full this year. Now, Lord, I pray that you would save people through this congregation, that they would come and taste and see that you are good and faithful. And Lord, we pray that you would send Jesus soon. We wanna go home. We pray that you would send him to us. In his name we pray, amen.